0: You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that.
1: The mental health community and the firearms industry has spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face.
0: Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. audience we are yet again on air on download i guess sort of through the air right you can download through the air with uh devin perkins hello devin what's
2: going on man how are you
0: dude we're so good it's uh it's a strange evening podcast for us usually we record these things during business hours and uh tonight it's uh it's nighttime and it's super nighttime because you're on the
2: east coast it's almost like midnight there Creeping up on it. Creeping up. Yeah. Mike, I don't sleep much. I <laughs> get like five hours of sleep and I'm right back up. Oh man, you're like a machine.
0: I, yeah, I if I if I get five hours of sleep, I I could probably perform, but it'll be for another five hours. <laughs> uh Mike, Mike's back in the Pacific time zone with me. We're both in Nevada. Hello.
1: How you doing? Yeah. Devin, Devin's funny. He'll he'll send me an article or something, and it'll be like 10, 30, 11. You know my time, and I'm like, man, he's up. <laughs> what is he doing up right now? So this isn't a problem for him. Maybe we should have Devin introduce
0: himself. You, you, uh, you're the founder and uh, organizer of Kids to Kings, but you're so
2: much more than that. Talk about it. Oh, uh, my name is Devin Perkins. Um, I started in the firearms community as a podcast host. Um, I did a lot of media stuff. I did a lot of. Um, I did a couple reviews nothing like too serious, just dabbled here and there. But, um, what I really got passionate about was kids. The Kings, but, uh, I guess before all of that, so I can tell you a little bit more about me. Um, 28 years old. Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia, pretty typical background. Uh, I guess it's a uh, single mom, two siblings, uh, I always tell people I've lived a long life in a very short time. Um, I feel like I've done everything, but the stuff that I'm, you know, embarking on now. So that's really, um, I guess, the most I can really tell you about me. Because the Kings is honestly something that's been manifesting for multiple years, and Mike, thanks to you, um, is somebody who helped me actually bring it to life, but. I worked with kids for nine years and I liked it, but I felt like, you know, I was growing out of it. And once I linked up with Kevin Dixie from NOC firearms training and he started telling me more about what he does with aiming for the truth, it kind of clicked in my head that that's probably the lane that I really need to be in because one, it's kind of the setting that I come from. So, you know, it's kind of bread and butter for me, too. Um, I felt like, like I said, in living that long life in a short period of time, I felt like I had enough experiences that I could give back and, you know, give game to some of these kids to keep them from doing some of the same stupid stuff I was doing. So when I linked up with Mike, I told him what I wanted to do. And I mean, fast forward to today and we're about to launch it.
0: You, uh, you just gave us a whole lot of content there to dissect. And I think what jumped out at me was you're 28, which, uh, sounds like, um, you're, you're a baby to me. And then you said, yeah, oh yeah, man, I'm in my forties. That's right. That's crazy. Like you've done all this stuff. Uh, and, and then you, you're like, yeah, so I worked with kids for nine years and I'm like, holy crap. That's like 30% of your life.
2: No. Yo, yeah. Like my freshman year of high school, I was working with kids. It was like, it was destined. My whole family works with kids. Like my grandmother worked at a daycare. My mom worked at a school. My brother works at a uh, mental health facility in Richmond. My sister's a teacher. Like it's in my blood.
0: <laughs> you love kids. You, 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 you clearly have a passion for it and you, you clearly have a passion for, for giving back and bringing up the next generation and being a role model. And, and, um, demonstrating what, uh, is good yeah. behavior, you know, for, uh, for the, for the, those who follow you. And I, th- I think that's really lacking and I could, I could soapbox about that for quite some time, but, um, I, I I'm more interested in like your, yeah. your connection with the firearms community and then obviously mental health, cause this is a guns mental health podcast, but,
2: um, where, where's the firearms thing come in here? Well, first to add to what you just said, Um, The reason why I'm so focused on the next generation is because that's how I was brought up. Like I kicked it with people that were four or five years older than me and all they did was give me game, whether it was put me onto something or show me something not to do. So I feel like that's what, you know, it's my job to do that with the next generation. But to answer your question about the firearms community, um, when, when did honestly, I bought my first gun. Um, I linked up with John Crump. I told him what I wanted to do as far as, you know, relaying the message of the second amendment to black people and specifically younger black people. Um, yeah, he, honestly John is probably one of my, he probably, he is my biggest supporter hands down. Um, anytime I have a crazy idea, it's either Mike or John that I hit. Whoever answers the phone, that's who gets to tell me no. <laughs> tell,
0: tell us, tell us who John is and why he means so much to you.
2: John Crump is the director of Virginia. He's the Virginia director for Gun Owners of America. He's a writer for Ammo Land. He does literally like everything. He hosts a podcast called um, Fireside Chats. He pays for my show. Um, literally, he does, like, everything. Um, he's kind of like – he's kind of one of those people that likes to stay in the shadows and see other people shine. And, I mean, I guess everybody needs somebody like that on their team somewhere. And, yeah, he's he's been a great – you know, he's been a great role model for me, one. Two, he's been a great mentor. Three, he's put me on to I don't know how many opportunities and open doors for me, so – john has my entire gratitude yeah john's a good guy john
1: when when i first launched walk talk america john basically came forward had me on his show wrote an article in Ameland land about the organization and about me um but not only that he came forward to talk about his struggles with mental health and his battles with anxiety yeah um and keep in mind like two years ago this was kind of new when people in the firearms industry were coming forward and being like, yeah, I suffer from that. You know what I mean? I've seen a lot of growth in the last two years of, and thanks to people like John, I think Kevin Dixie, um, that are coming forward. They're like, this happened to me, or I deal with this. And and it's kind of neat when you watch kind of an attitude change because I was like a big red elephant in the room for many years in the firearms industry. was talking about issues. (laughs) Like we just didn't do it. We were all tough. So John's a good dude. He I'll support John just uh, just like you do to the end because of, of the love he gave to Walk Talk in the beginning. Oh, I
2: was I was literally going to fight for John at one time. Antifa <laughs> put him on a hit list when we went to the uh to to the rally in Richmond. And um yeah, I was I was ready to rumble if they wanted to, but you know, it was Antifa. They do what they do. <laughs> they scream. Hey, all uh, <laughs> So
0: you mentioned uh, Mike in the same breath as John uh, is like two people that you go to. Let's let's brag on let's brag on our own. What's what's up with Mike Zadini and his influence in your
2: life? Mike was crazy enough to take me up on the idea of kids. Um, you know, every like, I'm kind of wild, so sometimes I need some reeling back in and. Mike is just, you know, willing to be one of those people that reels me back in. Um, Yeah, he's been supportive. Really, the biggest thing that I appreciate about what Mike has done is been patient and has helped me cultivate what Kids and Kings actually needed to be. Because the first thing that I sent Mike was, like, literally, like, a notes in my phone of, like, literally just brainstorms of ideas. And he was like, all right put this together in some type of like presentation i was like okay i can do that and it was literally like i would send it to him he'd send it back i'd send it to him he'd tell me what to do and yeah i all i can do is say thank you for somebody that will take the time out of their day as much stuff as he's already doing you know to assist and help me with what i want to do
0: That's really remarkable and it speaks volumes of what Mike does, I think broadly throughout the the firearms community, but now he's he's reaching into the mental health community the last couple of years with WTTA.
1: I want to hear Mike's side of the story though. Well, I met I met Devin at NRA two years ago, right? And Mm -hmm. you interviewed me. Uh, you came back. Yeah, (laughs) at a booth. Yeah, but I had a booth uh, for Eagle Imports, you know, and basically the NRA show, it's just, you're displaying all your firearms, but uh, he came, sat down in the booth, we did this long interview, we were talking about, we are just having an honest discussion about the firearms industry, which I like having honest discussions about the firearms industry, I hate it when people in the industry try to paint it as, you know, something great. It is great, but you know, we still got a long way to go and we were just talking about things like mental health and underprivileged underserved communities and why it's important. And, you know, you have Maj going in into the areas that no one else will go into and call people to the carpet. And I think that's great. But what Devin was talking about doing was doing something for the kids. And I think, you know, it was a big part. And we had, we were joking around. I remember said, nobody wants to see a white hero anymore. Like that, that's a played. you know, nobody wants to see the blind side. Nobody wants to see any, those movies where it's just like, we want to do it, but it's got to be authentic. Nobody wants to see someone from walk to talk America go up there and act like they know, you know, the, the struggle that some of these kids go through. Um, and Devin was just telling me about himself and, you know, I was like, man, you should do this, you know, and he did it. <laughs> that's the, that's the cool part about it is, you know, just from the idea standpoint, cause I know what that's like. I mean, walk to talk America started off of a conversation with a stranger in new Orleans, you know, just a random act. And we sat there at that show and here we are two years later and we're going to help him make this happen any way we can. And you know, your progress has been great, man. Like COVID, like everything has screwed everything up, but Man. <laughs> you were this close, Man. you know, to launching something. I mean, at least getting that first class out of the way, but I guess the the silver lining in this delay is that we could take time and actually kind of perfect the whole program because you've come up with some pretty awesome ideas since, you know, that time when you thought you were going to launch back, you know, before March
2: yeah, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree. Yeah, it does it definitely has given me time. It gave me time to sit back and like take a break and really look at cuz I know I told you plenty of times like there's something missing. There's definitely something missing and I feel like we definitely found it with the um with the rewards program, but yeah. I definitely agree with that. Um another thing was uh yeah. The fact that you said, like, how Walk the Talk America just started from a conversation, like, I've had this conversation with, like, my friends. I've had the conversation with everybody. Like, I've tried to start stuff before. And like like I said before, like, that's the biggest thing that, um, that I thank you for, Mike, is because, like, so many people have been like, yeah, yeah, this sounds great, but nobody really wanted to, like, actually get to it and see see it through and even now like i've seen people say that they want to get down with kids and kings and just fall off left and right and it's like all right whatever like the work's gonna get done regardless and um i feel like we've had really great reception like everybody who i've talked to has said that they loved it um anybody like from the areas that i want to get to they've said yeah this is definitely something they need to get get um they need to get there. Um. Other than that, I haven't had really any pushback, that's for sure.
1: Well, I don't think there could be pushback. It's tough um, to push back something like this. My thing, and, and we've talked about this before, is, you know, the, when when anti-gunners or people that don't understand our community talk about the, the death number, right, and they use that 40, you know, 35 to 45,000 number, um, there's two things that we always say in response to that two thirds of that is suicide, which is, which is true. Right. And then it's almost like a a guarantee that someone's going to say the rest of this is damn gangbangers in the inner city. Um, now I think that this program, uh, you know, I always say it's, it's not just about helping people. That's, that's, that's part of it. But the other part too is, you know, I think the gun industry needs some role models for the rest of the country, uh, in terms of, you know, people think we don't do anything. People think we don't care. Uh, and that's been, that's been one of my biggest issues is that pe- we do care. And, and now I see you going into these, like I said, underprivileged underserved areas and that, and you're representing the two a community and you're doing something positive for kids that deal with trauma and PTSD and everything like that. So I think, I think this is important and I think it's needed.
2: Does that make sense? it's it's right. a it's, we need this the two way community needs this um yeah for sure um I, again i got to give a shout out to kevin dixie because he's another person that i tell him like kids of kings is basically a modeled version of aiming for the truth and um yeah he's the one that told me he was like man if you see a problem fix it and i was like well This is a problem because to add to what you were saying about uh, this whole, it's one talking point or the other, they don't get down to the details of the fact that those gang, those same gangbangers that they're talking about are the same ones that are killing themselves. And they're the same ones within that eight. I believe it's between 17 to like 30 that the, is the rising. um, I think it's number two on the list of uh, black people black people's deaths. I said that completely wrong, but the <laughs> leading deaths in uh, the black community for men. But, um, yeah, that's a problem. Once I started like really looking into those numbers and then looking at the whole, like, like poverty to, um, to like prison pipeline, it's crazy. And it was like a lot of these kids, even, even in some of these worst conditions, right there's still opportunities everywhere for these kids to say no to the lifestyle that they're getting in. I personally know this. I know this for a fact because I literally have done it. There's nothing that these kids are going to be able to say to me that I already haven't been through. I've been through shootouts in Chicago. I I, mean, I can be honest on you. Right. <laughs> we
1: prefer. You better. I
2: sold, <laughs> I sold like every drug you could ever think of. I don't do it anymore. I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. But I'm like, there's no experience. Like, I've been in gang fights. Like, What do you want to talk about? I can relate to you and I can tell you why this is not the decision that you really want to make. And now I have other people that want to come along who have even worse stories than me that can tell them what they really don't want to get into. And I think that's where we can cut off some of the, the trends and the cycles that we're seeing these kids get stuck in. Because one of the things I want to ask these kids is, what do you guys think about most of the day? Because for me, at that point in time, I remember what I was thinking about, and it was really nothing positive. Like it was literally everything to scheme around anything positive. And I know that's what they're going through, and I want to help them to take that same energy of wanting to scheme and turn it into an actual scheme of success because it's there. They just have to have the energy in. I guess the mentality channeled to the right direction. And once you teach them how to do that, it's a wrap.
0: Mental health guy here jumping in. Um, I, for the rant. To, I, I no, 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 no. I want you to keep going. I want to circle back at some point to your redemptive story and the forgiveness of uh, being baptized and following Christianity. But right now I want you to continue the rant and talk about exactly what kids to Kings is and does and what you're, life's mission is keep going with that rant okay because i want to hear the specifics and i want the, our listening audience
2: so to know so to too. break it down i guess from the beginning um i was working with my close friend travis he's the other part of kids the kings i have to reel him back in at some point but he's a reformed gangbanger he's also a christian now as well His story is crazy. He's been through the Puerto Rico hurricane. He was stuck over there. He's back over here. He had gang members trying to kill him because he left the gang, so on and so forth. Uh, Just crazy stories. And just talking to him and, like, you know, doing Bible studies with him, just hanging out and stuff, we came up with the idea that, like, yo, we have to stop the next generation because – one of the things that we noticed, and one of the things that we studied about, was generational curses. And if mm-hmm. the first generation doesn't stop, literally, not that generation, but the next generation from doing it, mm-hmm. literally, just going to be a cycle of bad habits and just a bad lifestyle. So we wanted to get in front of the problem, and not to say that adults are a lost cause, but adults can be stuck in their ways a lot of the times. And I feel like if we can focus on the next generation we'll have a lot more success because to be that's, completely honest, the awesome. firearm side, the anti gun side is phenomenal with focusing on the next generation. They are leading these kids to the slaughter and these kids are dancing their way to it. It's insane. And the other side has no combat for that. I tell this story all the time, but I'm on a different podcast. So I'm going to tell you again. I went to um, the NRA headquarters the day that David Hogg did his march on the NRA. One, I completely like took over his crowd. Like I literally was talking to like Karens, like moms, and having them flip to the pro gun side. Like literally within, it was a decent, like long conversation, but you know, I had her reeled in, so I had to bring her all the way. But literally while we were there, well, hold up, let me take a step back. The day before I went to a gun show, Line wrapped around the building, like gun show packed, right? Next day, David Hogg's at the NRA building. Nobody's there. It's like a couple FUDs, like yelling in their camo with their shotguns. You know how they do. And then it was like the massive crowd of like kids. And when I was talking to these kids, I was like, yo, like y'all don't even like, you don't believe what you're saying. You're just repeating stuff that you've heard this kid tell you. And then at one point, and I still have the video, I have we had one kid literally go to David Hogg and be like, "Yo, you need to let these black guys speak." And he was like, "Nah, we're not we're not doing none of that." Yeah, I have wow. it on video. It's on video. Um, wow. But yeah, um the next generation like they need to be the focus. I don't understand I mean, maybe it's because I have, you know, caring for kids in my blood, but like I don't understand why that is just not a complete focus is the for next the unin-
0: Yeah. For, for the uninitiated who may be uh, listening to this cause they're, they're mental health clinicians and they're like, what's this two a thing about why are people so fired up about it? Why is Devin Perkins talking so strongly about us versus the other side? Don't we try to fight the binary and bring people together and all that stuff? Like what is the point of teaching children about firearms? Help, help, the uninitiated understand why this is so important? Why Why should the David Hoggs of the world be um, two solutions. pushed
2: aside? I say there's two solutions to that. One is the fact that, to me, firearms are just like any other martial arts. And if you teach somebody the discipline within that martial arts, they'll respect it, they'll know about it. You can use it as the shiny object in the room and teach the moral values around it, self-defense, self-reliance, everything that goes on from there. Um, number two it's your God given right to defend yourself and me focusing on the kids and specifically the boys. Like, I don't want you to be out here naked. I want to, I want you to know how to use these the right way. And if you come across one, know how to fuck, know how to dismantle it if you need to and take it to somewhere where it needs to be. You know what I mean? Like, and that happens all the time. I remember all the time again, I'm probably incriminating myself, but I carried a gun when I was too young to do it, but you know it is what it is. You know, a lot of my friends did, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. knowing how that goes, it's like thinking back and knowing the knowledge that I know about guns. Now I was like, yo, we definitely should have blown each other's heads off by accident a couple of times. You know what I mean? Like just reckless stuff. And what kid, what young boy doesn't like guns? That's another thing is like, Everybody like shoot
0: things. They shoot things. They, they like, you know, there's a, there's a power there, even with a squirt gun. Like I'm spraying my brother and I'm getting him away right, from right. me.
2: Like, right. What boy doesn't like exactly. I bought, I bought um, one of my friends, his little brothers, the uh, marshmallow guns. Oh my God. Best invention ever. Because they clean up the mess, they eat them. What do, like,
0: <laughs> I don't know about this. Is there? Is there something to shoot some marshmallows? Seriously,
2: you no. pipes, and you literally just blow like like dark. Shut up! That's amazing. <laughs> you can make them. you am pretty sure there's a pinchers that you can make them
0: yourself. Oh God! Don't bring them around my house. My kids will destroy them. But there's no mess.
2: it's awesome. It's the right. best thing. There's well, no especially mess. if
0: you have dogs. <laughs>
2: Look, man, I work with kids. I got a lot of ideas. Candy sushi. Have you tried that? No. Fruit roll-up wraps. Uh, Rice Krispies for the rice. Candy fish. Wrap it up. Slice it into the little sushi rolls. Boom. You're welcome. Boom. Diabetic. (laughs) Uh,
1: And now your kids are fired (laughs) up. Why
0: are you putting these ideas in my head? In my head definitely. You, man. I don't like you.
2: Uh, Last one, Eggo ice cream sandwiches. Oh, that sounds good. No brain freeze. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, go on. It's it's the best thing I've you just tasted. like I went two to a two Pennsylvania. Waffles with ice, Literally, ice cream in the middle of it. Ice cream in the middle, eggos on each side.
0: That's brilliant. And you can cut them in half or quarters or uh,
2: whatever you you want. It's amazing. (laughs) You really do know kids. That's that's awesome. (laughs) I got kids projects, food projects for days.
0: I worked exclusively with kids for about three years to two and a half years, I guess. And um, I was not creative. I lived in my in my frontal lobe. Uh, I was always trying to like <laughs> teach them things and like logic with them, and I never really shifted into play mode. And now that I'm the the father of a five and a three year old, and before then they were younger than that, uh, I've it's compelled me to learn how to play. And I th- I think there's something significant about that with regard to connecting with our children and bringing innocence back. Oh right? yeah.
2: So. That's another thing. For me, kids were somewhat my therapy. Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, yo, I can be a kid again and get paid to do this? Yeah, I'm going to do everything that I wanted to do as a kid. Y'all are just going to be here with me. And that's what we did, like, everything.
0: I I love love it when guests segue into things that that I want to talk about, like um, one's own personal mental well-being. How did that facilitate your own peace and tranquility or maybe maybe did it frustrate you because you're in working with these kids and you see their homes and their families and and you realize that things are screwed up and you can't do much to influence the system maybe how do you reconcile that how does it benefit you how does it frustrate you
2: um I just try to make their time with me as impactful as possible um I can even talk about like I worked. I literally worked in, like, Loudoun County, which is, like, the richest county in America, and, like, other areas that aren't as well. But um, specifically a story from that side, I had this one kid who was going through, uh, his parents just got a divorce, his dad brought the new woman in. She would pick him up, but, like, she was, like, the rudest woman, like, literally Cinderella's mom. Like, terrible. As soon as she came through the door, she would just start yelling, like, get your stuff, let's go, blah, blah, blah. And like, he'd be sitting at the table, like doing his homework with like four binders out and she's like yelling at him. So every time she would do that, I would start making fun of her to him. And I'm like, yo, you better get your stuff before you got to cut the lawn with scissors. Like, and he would laugh and he would go home with jokes. The funny part is she eventually complained about that to my director. I told her straight up, like, if you're not mean to the kid, we don't, we literally don't have jokes. So fix yourself. Like, what do you what do you want me to do? Like, I'm not gonna just let you berate a kid because you don't like the fact that he's not yours. Like, yeah. it's ridiculous. But yeah, um, that's really the best way I can do it, man. Like, cause at some point you have to just understand, like, they're not mine. And like, I can only do so much. But at the same time. In the summer, I'm spending most of the time with them anyway, so my influence is kind of gonna ride a little bit. Like I would get the, can you talk to so and so because he's not doing this at home? Like, I mean, he does it here. I don't have a problem with it.
0: Right. I don't know right. what
2: you want me to do about it.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the tough things we deal with in in the psychotherapy world. Is and you know, it's like, well, why is he compliant with you? It's like, well, maybe you're doing something differently at home that you could learn from me and. And we can be compassionate about, you know, not, not being in the home. Right. We can, we can say like, Hey, look, I get, I get being a parent, like parents don't get to work in shifts. Uh, right. you know, like you're, you're with them all the time and, and we can identify with that and we can validate that. Uh, and at the same time, there might be some room for improvement. Like the, I might, I might have something to offer you. Like, why do you think he's, he's working with me and he's compliant with what I instruct him to do? Uh, maybe it's because I'm consistent. Maybe it's because I'm compassionate. Maybe it's because I give him choices. Um, you know, I'm, I'm referencing the the Christian Conti four Seas of parenting right now. Um, but but the idea is that people can learn and evolve. And and in me asking you that question, I think there's there's probably going to be people listening who go, "Yeah, geez, I'd I'd love to to help out, but I don't know where." And that goes back to something that you referenced earlier, where you know somebody p- finally you know kind of put a, a metaphorical boot in your butt and said. Just go do it. You're like, oh, okay. I guess it's up to me (laughs) because nobody else is doing it. So I guess I'll do it. And so we have to take that affirmative step forward, whether it's with our children our you know, in our own homes or some societal project we want to undertake. If you're looking around and nobody's doing it, you go do it. Yep. That's it.
1: Yep. And that's what my
2: OGs told me. So that's what I got to (laughs) do.
1: Yeah. I think, I think uh, one of the things too, you know, back to kind of being a role model or the influence you might have on a kid. I mean, this is going to sound like a really lame story compared to some of the stuff you've been through, Devin. But, like, one of the reasons why I don't smoke cigarettes is honestly because I had a, a kid that I looked up to, you know, he was older than me, they used to let me hang around with him. One day I went to go try to impress him because I had cigarettes. <laughs> I got cigarettes from somewhere. And I, I, I lit one up in front of him just trying to be cool. And he was like, what are you doing, man? Like, we don't need to do that. I was just like, wow. and it, it changed the course of me doing that. Cause I was really, I didn't really want to smoke. I just wanted to look cool and be cool. And I thought that that's something he thought would be cool. And, and you know, like I said, it seems a little corny. <laughs> There's no gunplay involved in this. No now, <laughs>
2: can I give you a similar story? So this guy I stopped selling drugs. Um, I started dabbling into selling sneakers, right? And my sneaker plug came to me one time. And it was funny because my sneaker plug actually in high school beat up my drug plug, like when they were younger. So this is like even funnier to me. But he was like, You can get pulled over with a trunk full of sneakers, you're not going to go to jail. You get pulled over with a trunk full of guns, you're gone. Number two, you can put sneaker salesman on a resume, you can't put drug dealer on a, on a resume. Don't waste too much time in that. And I was like, damn, you are completely right. I literally took all of my drug money and put all of it into sneakers and never looked back, and it was a good decision. Things you don't think
0: you'll cover on a
2: podcast. <laughs>
1: For 500, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but it's true, though. I mean, this is why this program is so necessary, because um, a lot of people I, – I think a lot of people think – they sit back and wait and they think, okay, somebody else is going to do it. Right. Or like, Oh, I don't know what the answer is. Or yeah, they need programs for that. And it's kind of like what you just said, Jake, like sometimes you just have to do it, like go and do it. And you have something in your mind, but this is why it's so important because you know, these kids, it it could affect them in such a positive manner. um, Especially listening to your guys' story. And then you've changed the course, man. Instead of going this way, the kid, you know, made a right and went the right way. Um, you know, it's special,
2: but at at the same time, this is, this is the holistic, what I say beauty of kids, the Kings is that we're going to have the examples of people that went the wrong way. Like we're going to be able to tell you what it's like to have to go to work at a burger shop and worry about other gang members coming to shoot you at the freaking burger shop. You know what I mean? Like, We got all of that for like. There's literally not going to be something that they've done that we haven't done. So when I say we're going to be able to relate to them, we might end up scaring some of these kids with the stories that we have, which might be good. You know what I mean? But there's an element of scared straight in in everything that's like that, right? Like, yeah, you definitely learn what not to do from other people's mistakes. That's something that uh, a lot of people, I think, should highlight a little bit more. Is like you can watch somebody do something wrong and learn real fast that that's not what to do.
0: Yeah. They, they, it's almost like, uh, people, I won't even say kids because it's like people these days just have to reach out and touch the stove to make sure it's hot. And, and I, yeah. I think there's a, there's a backdrop to this, that in the, in the ongoing, uh, call it what you want, pandemic lockdown, you know, authoritarian plan exercise of, yeah, whatever. But the point is, we've crippled the the previously upheld institutions and pillars of our society, like science and elected officials and education, uh, and because they've all been politicized now, and it's it's really unfortunate, such that people don't believe what's being produced anymore, or or bare minimum they question it, and they and they really shouldn't be questioning it because it's coming from Previous voices of authority, and they're like, "Nah, I'm, you know, I'm going to walk out there and I'm going to touch that hot stove because I'm not sure I believe that the stove is hot." And you're what you're doing is you're saying, "Listen, we've got this library of knowledge behind us. Please, 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 for the love of God, believe in what we're saying so that you don't step in the same potholes that we do." How do you yeah. how do you go about? Um, not only teaching that to youth and helping them believe it and follow you, but also recruiting more people in to, to do what you do. So the
2: funny part is uh, <laughs> the two A community was like the training wheels for this because it's the same thing you have to do with people who are on the fence or anti gunners. You got to question their logic and just ask them, but engage them. Like, don't just sit there and, beat them over the heads with whatever you have to say, listen to what they have to say, and then combat that. And then another thing, them where they are. when you do that, you can get them off script of what they already, whatever preconceived assumptions they have mm-hmm. about whatever the topic is at the time. And I, I'd say I don't believe in an awkward situation. So whatever the conversation is, religion or politics, we can have all of it. So let's just get real. That's why I said – my initial question to them, I want to ask them. I don't even want to tell them anything first. I just want to ask them, what do you guys think about 90% of the day? And then just go from there and we can just build and build it because looking at the presentation, honestly, like over the past couple of days, I'm like, man, I have all of this, I mean, compiled numbers, like this goes well with this. But I'm like, these kids aren't going to give a fuck about any of these numbers. Like, I can use them, but I have to be able to have a conversation with them. I don't want to sound like another counselor or teacher to them. Like, I really want to, like, at the end of these workshops, whatever you want to call them, all these kids are going to have my personal phone number. So, like, whatever y'all need, hit me. You know what I mean? And that's the type of resource I want to give to them because That's really what they need. They don't need somebody who's just going to sit in front of them, tell them why they're wrong. Tell them what they're doing wrong. Tell them this is what you do. Get a good job. Go to college. But like, dog, it's, that is not life.
0: You're not, you're not talking at them. You're talking with them. Right. And, and you're meeting them where they are and introducing information that they probably want anyway, but don't know that they need. And instead of, forcing it down their throats through a PowerPoint, you're inviting them in to desire it because you're exactly. tapping into what they don't have. And and you know that because you've, you've lived that life and you're, and you're saying, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What if and exactly. you're like, well, let me show you.
2: Cause that is where they get the information and it sparks that light in their head. You know what I mean? It's right. not just you right. giving them the good information and hoping that they, retain it. It's like, no, make them understand and make them active with the information. That's why I like one of the workshops I want to do is um, I want to have them start their either the next three steps of success for training or school or their entrepreneurial plan for the next three years. But I want them to start thinking of the mindset of success. Like, look, dog, like get your what I'll tell them this straight up. The coolest thing you can do is get your money up. Like you want to flex on people, get your money up. You want to do anything, get your, get your dollars up. I remember Mm -hmm. even when I started selling drugs, the, one of my OGs told me, he was like, yo, you really want to do this? Like get a second source of income. So I got a part-time job. I was like, yo, he was right. Like this is basically my insurance and I can flex with my money and do whatever else I want. And he was right. And then, you know, I guess God was protecting me as I was learning these lessons, because once I got to my sneaker plug, I was going a little bit more illegal and it just took off from there. And now I have all of these lessons that I can just give right back to them. but put it in a much better format and structure for them to receive it. Yeah. One of the things that's cool
1: too, about this program, and we've talked about this is you can do things right now, like bring in, a police officer, right? And have them, have him speak to the kid, the kid. Yeah. You could plug and play things that are, you know, I guess, hot topics in the, in the U S um, and get people to see a different side of maybe something, uh, you know, cause right now the narrative is that cops are the enemy. Right. And there's, there's kids that are afraid, um, especially in inner cities, um, you know, just with what they see and what they hear. Um, but you have the ability to possibly change that look for them and make them understand like, it's, there's a lot of nuance in these discussions and that all cops are bad and, and not, you know, and hating the cops necessarily isn't a great thing. Or, you know, you, you're, you can, you could be there to correct them and make them understand that there's
2: good cops and there's bad cops. <laughs> and and um, to add to that, the person I'm gonna put this on him, cause I, he said I could, Ken Scott is the person that I would love to do that with. He's done everything in law enforcement. He still trains law enforcement now. He's still in the firearms community doing awesome things. Yeah, that's who I want to get into that room. I was That's crazy because I was just thinking about that the other day because that's what Nipsey Hussle was about to do right before he died. Was He was supposed to meet up with the L.A. Sheriff's Department and start some sort of outreach program. I literally was thinking about that like two days ago. It was like just just a conversation that's going to have to come in at some point. Go ahead, yeah.
0: Like like just a conversation, like like hey, we're we in this community are experiencing this. What do you guys have to say? And then like start the dialogue.
2: As far as police, yeah, 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 yeah. I would love. No, I would want police to come in. Give me like three cops, right? I want them to come in and hear what these kids have to say. Right. And right. then let them calmly give it, give whatever their version is back to them and mod. Yeah. Basically just moderate that dialogue. Yeah. Connectiveness
1: in the community. Right. Cause I mean, the cops are in the community like it or not. <laughs> right. They're there. Yeah. They, they live there. Yeah. And you know, growing up like, especially when, when, you know, cause I was a city kid. You know, I, I think it'd be cool to kind of have a connection to a cop as a kid, you know, in, the introduction, okay. There's officer. So-and-so you we're growing up with this guy, you know what I mean? He's in the neighborhood. Um, I think it's important. I mean, when it's not just police officers, you could do this with, there's so many different roles. Uh, and I think connectiveness inside of community is one of the most important things and we're getting away from that. And I think that's a big problem.
2: One of the other, I guess, liaisons, I wanted to, build was the connection between military vets and the kids because of the similar traumas of dealing with, you know, I guess really violent areas. Um, I wanted to see if I could bring that together. And I met some people who said it might not be the best idea. I met some people that said it would be a good idea. So I think I'm just going to do it and see how it goes. But I feel like there's definitely a, a space there where, in the same fashion that I used kids as somewhat of my mental health uh, therapy, I feel like when you're helping somebody, it also helps you. And I feel like vets could get that by helping these kids. And that also would build, you know, another bridge between demographics that probably have no idea about each other. And a lot of times speaking about politics, they are literally probably on opposite sides most of the time. And Whenever something inflammatory comes up in the media, if they already have these liaisons, they are probably more likely to look at that and be like, that's not like so-and-so that I met. So I can't go with what you're saying on the news. And then that just breeds a whole plethora of free thought. What,
0: what would be the goal of bringing military vets who've experienced trauma and introducing them to kids who've experienced different trauma what is it? Commonality, bridge building. What, what, what's in your head there?
2: Um, just the fact that they, like these, honestly, uh, one of the things that I, I guess researched the most is complex trauma and CPTSD and how, yes, while you're in these environments for long periods of time, you develop a mindset that, you know, isn't very healthy. And I feel like that, is the bridge that a lot of these military vets also have once they get out of the military, after being overseas for so long in combat, living in these crazy environments, um, they have to adapt back to real life. Yeah, And it's the same thing. Once these kids get stuck in the system or they have that, oh shit moment, like this is real life. They have to adapt to whatever their situation is. And I think going back to what I said before, we can cut off the problem. If, you know, if we can find another way to, uh, to help the kids. And I feel like, like I said, I feel like the therapy for the veterans could come from helping the kids and adapting back to regular life by seeing that there are other people out here that are just as fucked up as you are. And you know, you're not alone.
0: A hundred percent. And I love that you, you connect those dots because Trauma is not unique to a person. It's um, it it expands across all of humanity. Anybody who's ever this is how I teach trauma. Anybody who's ever experienced an emotional circumstance that um, blows past where their, their development stage is supposed to be for understanding emotion um, experiences trauma. So. It's children in abusive and neglectful environments. It's um, first responders who experience something they haven't been trained for. It's the casual uh, street observer who uh, wa- watches a car accident, right? So, so we all experience these traumas. And, and I think the important thing here is that we're acknowledging that we're not connecting on, on experiential comparison, um, all experiences are different. You and I can watch a ball game together and we'll, uh, experience the same thing, but our emotional response to that is going to be very different based on what we've been told to expect or interpret the environment to be. And I love that you bring in C- CPT, CPTSD because, um, you although that's not in the, what's that? I hate <laughs> I, saying, I hate it saying too. Yeah, C CPTSD. <laughs> Um, it's something that a guy named John King introduced me to, um, a couple of years ago. He, he wrote a book called hashtag deal with it. Um, and he's experienced a ton of trauma in his life and it's a very good book. Um, so you can pick up that, uh, if you want to, it's called hashtag deal with it. It's, it's graphic. I would not necessarily recommend it for children, but the idea is that even though it's not in our, um, according to Hoyle, you know, um, Diagnostic criteria that that should be applied to everybody in a medical setting and whatnot. What it is is a is a very accurate pop psychology encapsulation of what happens to people who experience trauma over and over and over again. It leads to something akin to a personality disorder, and even though it may not lead to a diagnosable per- personality disorder according to the book, um, and I and I won't get into that. But the the point is that you're still experiencing these long-standing traits that we don't like. We don't find them desirable, and we want them to go away because they're interfering with our ability to interact with other human beings, execute our jobs, pursue our passions. And what happens when we walk into a doctor's office or a therapist's office is the untrained or um, un- unknowing clinician goes, ah, I know what this is. You-, you got a personality disorder and I'll prescribe all this treatment. When really what you have is just a series of traumas that need to be reconciled. And those can be reconciled with a series of very brief steps that say, hey, this, this shit happened to you and it was really unfortunate and it's horrible now wrap your arms around it, make peace with it, set it aside, and move on with life. We don't have to do this like fumbling forward of like lifetime of medication thing that uh, just I I hate and arises a, a visceral passion within me that that I that I don't want to um <laughs> go down to you know, uh, ex- exploring how the, how we got here, but um the idea is that and I say it in the intro, mental illness can be overcome. And however you got here is irrelevant to how we reconcile it and how we right. come out of it, right? So I love that you're you're referencing these things, um, you're bringing them to the forefront, and you know more podcasts can can help this uh, move along, I guess. But um, t- here here's where I want to go with that after my soliloquy. Um, you came from this really checkered past, right? And you you work with kids with with checkered pasts. Um what's the hope that you inspire in them to to pull them out to say there's something better? That you don't have to be uh, you know, bound to this for life?
2: Um honestly I just I have to reference what people did for me and would just to give them another outlet. Um a lot of times in for lack of a better term, oh I'll use Mike's words, the underprivileged communities. I'm gonna start using that a lot more. Um, that by the way, is a glass it's weird to
0: me that you didn't know that, huh? Because I, so in, in my academic circles, uh, the, the underprivileged community is like a thing I've heard for like 10 years. That's why year that you haven't heard that, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Underprivileged. who
0: yeah, yeah, F- lack privilege, right? Like, Osh you know,
2: says, uh, the inner city, si- he says, all inner cities, so that too, like, it's not discriminatory, I'm just saying, right. That's where, like I was saying, for That's lack of better, fast, thing, it's I just, just fascinating
0: think. to me to hear you say that. You're like, "Oh, I heard it from Mike. Like, I'm going to use that more." The other, I'm like, well, I hear it from Mike more them.
2: than anybody else. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Okay, I, anyway, I
1: have anyway. no idea why I say it like that. It just sounds right. Underprivileged, it, underserved. It's the perfect way it
2: to is. say. <laughs> is.
0: <laughs> underserved is another great way to yeah, say, that, say
2: that it. Yeah, that that part
0: too. Unders- Resources go somewhere, and they don't go somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, one of the questions I guess I have for you that, you know, going into the, the gun community and I have my own opinion on the gun community when it comes to, um, where we are in terms of minorities, uh, and being involved in the, two a gun culture, right. Um, I've been, I've been in the industry in and out for 20 years and I've seen some amazing growth. We have a long way to go in terms of, I think the business side. Um, you know, I remember the days when I used to say it was just, it, it looked like an old white man convention, right? right. Like the NRA show was an old white man convention. The women that you saw were usually the wives who stood behind the, the husbands and they would look at the guns. Um, we've come, we've come a long way. We, we have in terms of just seeing the diversity when you, when you look at a shot show or you look into the crowd, how did you feel when you first came into the community? Because, for, for we still do have a long way to go and and there, it is still kind of like a throwback to the old school days of the good old boys. Uh, there's a lot of that. So how did you feel coming into the gun community? Uh, personally,
2: uh, I, have, I have to say I've had probably the best experience. Like I, and like I said, I have to give praise to John because he's plugged me with like anybody that I needed to, anybody that I couldn't get in touch with. Maj, took care of and plugged new people. But like, I realized that I had it good when I was looking through my phone and I was like, yo, I have a lot of people's phone numbers that a lot of people just follow, like that I talk to on a regular basis just follow. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, like, and from there, like doors have just been opened for like Kevin Dixie. I'm probably not supposed to say this, but he probably doesn't care now he let me come to his first training learn event off of like basically conditions that I had to fulfill while I was there. And I didn't actually pay, but you know, like Maj puts me on to countless things um, the radio, like anything that honestly, like anything that he doesn't really want to do or have time for, he'll throw it to me or anything that he just thinks would be good for me. He'll throw it to me. Um, Ken Blanchard, was like one of the originators of you know black gun act black man with a gun yeah right I talked I talked to Ken today and we were just talking about like apologetics nothing to do with guns you know what I mean um yeah like Ken Scott like I have experience with with these people within the gun community that Mike like you Pinkus, like I know all of these people and I have great relationships with them I I love as much as I talk shit about the gun community because we do have much more to go. Yes, I I love them to death. Like to me, like as opposed to like any other demographic, like to me is the best. Like you can't really compare it to any like what do you want to compare? Like compare it to the rap game
1: that that's interesting because I think a lot of people would be shocked to hear you say that. Right. Like I, I I remember having girlfriends, uh, when I was single, um, and you know, they didn't know anything about the firearms industry and they had this, you know, I remember one time arguing with this girl that I was dating and she basically was like, yeah, it's a racist industry. Yeah, she had that mentality in her head. And I was like, why, wh- why do you say that? Because that's really weird because I'm in, I'm in the industry. And she's like, you know, you know, I can say no. And I said, I said w- wh- where are you getting this information from? Like, wh- give me examples. But it's this belief from the outside that the firearms industry is just, you know, older, white, racist guys, you know, just sitting around counting their money off tragedy.
2: <laughs> it's in a race That's, I mean, that's the base that they've played to. So that's what mainstream, whatever media looks at the gun community as gun community, as is what the NRA presents it to be. And (laughs) it's funny because we kind of just let the NRA be the fucking punching bag. And it's like, all right, whatever y'all do, y'all do. But for people who aren't actually looking at the community, it will look racist if they are the poster boy, but, um, I think other organizations are definitely on the come up and they're definitely making some very good decisions. Uh, Gun Owners of America, they're doing some great stuff. Um, Antonio Okafor with Gun Owners of America. John is with Gun Owners of America. Um, uh, FPC, Firearms Policy Coalition, Mm -hmm. they're doing great things. They donate to Black Guns Matter all the time. They just sponsored one of the classes not too long ago. But, yeah, we're we're seeing – that's kind of the – I don't want to, like, dog them too bad, but that's kind of the best thing about this whole somewhat fall of the NRA is that we're finally seeing the other organizations get some of the shine that they deserve.
0: So it's not that the NRA and its members were racist. It was that they all just sort of looked the same, and they all sort of had the same friends, and that was the image they portrayed. That's what I meant by play to their base. Yeah, they were welcoming (laughs) Anybody who wanted to come in, but the people who look like you or who look like Edgar Antion, who we had on the podcast before, you know, it's like, well, I don't see any of my people up there, so I guess they don't want me. Is that the interpretation?
1: Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I think it is. I think it is from. A, so, well, I, let me take that, Devin. <laughs> I'll that answer yeah. for the black man, would you, Mike? Yeah. Well, no, I, I. Because I look, I'm not a gun guy. Like I am in the gun industry, but I didn't. I didn't grow up around the industry. I grew up in cities. Like that's where I'm from, and you know, going into the industry for a while, the really only game in town was the NRA. There wasn't these, a lot of these organizations that you see now, like, you know, guys like mm-hmm. Yehuda, like the Pew Pew Jew and, you know, all these different lanes that we have now, or people are coming forward. And now, you know, the second amendment has always been a huge tent that invites everybody in. As long as you're down for guns, usually they'll invite you in, right? This And, and, and that's how I feel about it. But I think that the portrayal, I think it was easier for people outside of the 2A community to, to, you know, follow that narrative. Cause you had, look, in most cities they're liberal and they're Democrats, right? When the NRA started going after Democrats and liberals and saying that stuff, it made it really easy for people to say, Hey, they're racist. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's fact, right? Like there's nothing about, uh, now there is, but back in the day, there was nothing that made people want to come in to that, that didn't look like a guy from duck dynasty. Right. Like that's, that's the standard of what you thought the, that the industry looked like. Um, you know, now there's people like Maj, there's people like Collins, you know, colin Noir, there's, there's, there's Kevin Dixie. It's a different look. So at least people can go to there and they can start there and then they can branch out and say like, Oh, there's all these other organizations too. Okay. The gun industry isn't that bad, but that's, that's really why I feel like there's this misconception. Um, and I think the NRA just with their kind of, flippant attitude like, hey, you know, F you, we are who we are. You know, if you don't like it, these liberal cities can burn, you know, like that
2: type of attitude turned a lot of people off. Yeah, I agree. That and just yeah, like the lack of effort, like I like I personally haven't seen the NRA one do much with the youth to do very much with black people as a whole uh, they did at a time though that's one of the major criticisms is that at one point in time the NRA did sponsor charters to arm black people in North Carolina to fight against the KKK like they have done this stuff before but then there's you know the other side of stuff that they've done as well and I I don't know. Maybe this whole maybe they'll rise like a phoenix. Uh, that's the best political <laughs> statement I can give I get, about them right now. I am going to
0: believe in that, actually, because um, if if we if we take the idea of uh, self defense and and we extrapolate it into um, every every person's right to defend self, right, and and we take a calmer, more pragmatic approach we go hey you know um if the police don't show up when you call 911 what do you do and across cultures across ethnicities people are going to be like well i'm i'm going to handle it well how are you going to handle it and based on what you know, who are you facing um and i think that's that's where we get to the point of advocating for firearms rights uh you say well what's what's the 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 best means possible. It's, it's, lethal defense, right? Um, we don't ever want to deploy that. Um, but it's, it's the, it's the most powerful way to preserve one's own, uh, freedom, autonomy, personal accountability. So I want to pull this back into the mental health aspect. When you Devin are in a culture that's, um, you know, uh, presumed to be uh, marginalized minority culture. What does that do to the psyche of a person who wants to defend self against intruder or attacker or whatever? Um, but you've got this overarching narrative that says um, you're not welcome uh, for whatever reason. Uh, how, how do you, how do you guys like as, as a black community, as a, as a minority community, uh, cause I don't, I don't want to just pigeonhole black people in the into this, uh, um, Area because we, like Mike mentioned, Yehudas and that with uh, Orthodox Jews, they they tend to tuck their chin and just you know go along to get along. Um, we've we've got Latinos who are you know f- likely from undocumented sources and they don't want to stick their heads up either. Um, but we all still have a human right to defend ourselves. How how do we how do we help elevate people to equality to the point that they're they're allowed. Or, or you know empowered to defend themselves against this like culture that says nah, you know what it's only for the privileged white folk
2: um see when you said black people it made it so much easier <laughs> yeah I
0: know that's why I expanded it
2: <laughs> but
0: um it wasn't by accident
2: honestly it's it's what you said uh just reinforce that the Second Amendment doesn't have a political party. Um, we have, there are liberals. I remember at the 2A rally, right? One of the first people I met was a socialist rifle association member. And I was like, what? And I then I was like, you know what? I don't care. As long as you like guns, I don't care. There's that welcoming yeah. umbrella, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. men underneath the tent. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I don't, yeah. You're, you're here. You're you're here for the circus. I don't know what act you are, but you're. And um, yeah, man. It's just everybody has a spot in the army. Everybody, need, like you said, everybody needs a way to defend themselves. And I think we all can agree that giving the government that power or that authority just hasn't worked out for us. And once you start handing over rights, you don't get them back. So. Right. Yeah. You can't really just be emotional about it. But that's that's a ball that's been dropped on both sides. Similar to what you touched on, is that the NRA basically turned into Fox News Jr. and started demonizing everything that was liberal. And it's like not everybody is over there that is not everybody over there is anti-gun. Like um I had a guy, he's a civil rights lawyer um in Atlanta. I had him on my show around the time um, the, not George Floyd, the Ahmad Arbery shooting happened, because he was very familiar with the case, but he's also a part of the Rainbow Coalition. I had no idea what that was, and it's essentially the more liberal side of libertarians, how libertarians are about basically freedom of everything. They're essentially like community should take care of everything, but government Still shouldn't be that involved, you know what I mean. I mm-hmm. it's an argument to be had, but I can understand mm-hmm. where they were coming from. And it, but he was telling me how he just bought a new upper for like his 308, and how you know he holds some of the same conservative values that a lot of conservatives do, but because he's in this, I guess, fringe like niche party, it's not very publicized anymore, and honestly. The two party system has made it very, very, very uh they've done it to the point where there isn't really a voice for anybody else. Now I think they've basically sparked a new awakening. Because every time these type of situations in America happen, more people buy guns. Mm-hmm. And even now, more black people are buying guns. So black people are probably the number one uh or are one of the number one rising demographics of gun ownership. And honestly, it's come from them trying to fan the flames and it's worked against them Hmm. to a degree. The way it hasn't is that now we do have some instances in the news that are probably going to be used to push anti-gun legislation. But that's another thing that the 2A community has to clean up too, is we got to raise the standard a little bit and stop just letting everybody claim that they're two a people just because they own guns. Cause a lot of times some of them aren't the greatest. I, I, I
0: was, I was one of those guys. Um, I was raised around guns, owned guns my whole life. And I tell this on, um, you know, almost every podcast I go on where I was raised in a family full of cops, uh, hunted my whole life. Um, but I wasn't into the culture until I met Mike. And then all of a sudden I you know, find myself talking to Rob Pincus and then I go to SHOT Show and I was like, Oh, Oh, this is, this is a thing. That, that was my
2: reaction. It was like yeah. opening the, the uh, wardrobe in Narnia. It's like, Oh my. <laughs> and the war is going on too. Yeah. No,
0: it was weird though. It was, for me, I, I, um, I always saw it as a tool. It was, it, was a, it was just a thing that, that hung out, you know, in the, in the safe or on the dresser or whatever, or, you know, we pulled it out to go shoot deer. And, um, you know, my, my dad was a cop, and I had a couple of uh, three uncles who were cops, and it was, it was just a tool for the job to, um, you know, compel compliance if necessary. Uh, and, and I never, which is really bizarre to me, I never actually saw it as a right, even though I studied seminal law. From high school through present day, and I was re- I'm, I still am a really s- seminal law geek, uh, learning codes and laws and and all sorts of things. And I even wrote several laws for my own profession. Um, it didn't really click until less than a year ago when I went, "Holy cow, this is this is a right to defend oneself." And I think I had just been messaged so much through whatever forms uh, the messaging came that it was uh, to be abrogated and, and attenuated that I, I forgot that we have a right to defend ourselves uh, no matter what and especially against tyrannical governments and we we hope that with our checks and balances our government does not become tyrannical but that was the whole point of the thing and um and, and I had an awakening, too, when I went to SHOT Show this year. It was, it was very, very cool for me to, to turn my mind around that. And as a, a mental health practitioner, I, uh, to borrow Rob Pincus's phrase, I had to come out of the closet as a gun-owning mental health clinician. It was not welcomed in my circles. Uh, I, I am absolutely professionally ostracized in certain areas, because of my gun ownership, and it's and, and my avowed gun ownership in teaching these courses that we we do with WTTA and and all that stuff, so I totally feel that um, it's it's very different for me because I guess I fall into that that demographic that Mike alluded to earlier that you know the 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 white you know <laughs> uh, traditional gun owning person. Um, who gets cast as a racist, which is super unfortunate. But um, I don't know. It's it's interesting to hear that. I I want to come back though to, to to something I mentioned earlier uh, that I wanted to come back to, which is the, the redemptive power of following religion, following Christianity, following Jesus. You you'd referenced that before, and I I think it would be uh I think I'd be remiss if I if I didn't bring it up. You found a path to reconciling your 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 like sins of the past, so to speak, and stepping into a new new glory. I guess you could say, um, doing the right thing. I want you to talk about that and how you reconcile the idea of like this weapon of death, as they say, um, with following Jesus, because that's that's always something that's fascinated me, and I think you could probably articulate
2: that pretty well. Um, I mean, it was a matter of the most extreme tool being used in the worst way possible, which could have been one of my extremes or taking that very same tool and using it as, as I mentioned before, some sort of, um, martial arts or just some sort of therapy or a shiny object in a room to start the conversation and to rebuild what essentially I could have and what I've watched some of my friends do uh, create the bad situations that I'm going to be trying to fix now. So honestly, it was just accepting the fact that like, yo, I've done enough bad. It's time for me to start doing good. And I feel like I was blessed because like some of the situations that I got into, like, I'll probably still be in jail now for sure. And there was a reason why I'm not. And I feel like this is, this is the reason like, and kids, the Kings feels like that. Like, like I told you before, I've had ideas. I've had this idea. I actually found like my first notebook kids, the Kings original name was going to be sneakers to guns or yeah, sneakers, to guns. And it was going to be how I went from that whole lifestyle and the sneakers to after I sold, all of, or actually after I put all the drug money into sneakers, I literally then took all of my sneakers and sold them to start my gun collection. And I wanted to basically break down basically the growth of why I had to do each one of those steps. And it was like, yeah, I did this to survive. But then I saw that I had to elevate. What do I want to do when I elevate? I wanted to get cleaner out in my lifestyle. I wanted, I saw what success really was. It wasn't just this, you know, rap video that we would being well that was being portrayed to us as you know what it was and honestly I lived that like I went to King of Diamonds in Miami like I had strippers on my lap like literally anything you can think of I've done it I've met rappers I've been in rap video like everything we've done it all so it's like knowing that that what like when you're in that moment and you realize like all right there has to be more to life than just this like cool rap videos like women cool but like what else like there was always something pulling me to do more and as I was growing I was like all right well I did the thing with the sneakers we kind of messed up the game so now it's kind of diluted what's next and I was like okay guns don't lose value and they don't lose value because one they can protect you two you can teach somebody else how to use it and they can protect them and then it's You basically start the only pyramid scheme that works. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's gun after gun after gun. And now, like, I've been a gun owner since 2014. All of my family thought I was freaking nuts buying guns, right? This day, every one of their houses has a gun in it. Every single one of them. And for me, that's significant because... That's going to change a mindset about guns in my family for the next generations to come. So bring it all back to kids, of Kings. <laughs> it's just, it's just that it's breaking the cycle, starting the right cycle and trying to keep the next generation on that right cycle. All right, or, how yeah. do you, so, Did so I answer the, your question. Sorry. I ran. So yes,
0: sort of. But what I want to know is how do you reconcile following Jesus as being a gun owner?
2: Oh, you got you got to protect your sheep. I mean, it's this that simple. As a man, you you're the protector of your household. Like, you you gonna make your your lady or your children? Like, no, that's your responsibility. Like, that's your role. Um, I think a
0: lot of people think that like they hear Christian, Christ follower, Jesus guy, and it's all just peace all the time, and you know, you just you just you just pray your way out of things and. And uh, harm goes away. It's
2: like you can't you can't have peace unless you're capable of violence. I'm it, it's something of that nature. But yeah, man, like I don't want to use my gun. I I really don't. But it kind of ensures my peace. Like I don't. I'm not worried about anything because I know what to do with the tool that I have. Um, and you
0: teach and you teach de-escalation to your kids,
2: of course that like that's, before anything that's it that's right what we talk about you know what i mean before anything that's what we talk about um yeah cuz honestly i'll teach them like i'll teach kids to make fun of each other before i teach them how to fight like yo just go at it with jokes whoever has the funniest joke wins and i've literally like in after school programs i've literally had like joke battles whoever wins gets this bag of candy it stops fights you know what i mean and then yeah. Let's say the kids do in some way get into a fight. I'm making fun of both of you. And now you're both <laughs> going to look dumb. You're going to feel dumb. And then you're going to laugh about this 20 minutes later while we're playing football. And it's like... It's it, awesome. Yeah. It, the whole gun thing, it's like, man, some some people just take it too serious. And it's it's something to take serious. But, like, there's a fun side to it. You know what I mean? Um, Another inspiration of mine is... Derek LeBlanc out in Oregon. He works with Kids Safe. I love Add him on the everything podcast. That he's doing, yeah. Everything that he's doing. Um, and like he says, uh, fire, or zero firearms accidents is the goal, and so, uh, he's on it. Like he's accomplished his goal to the date. And yeah, like it's just the honestly, like with the gun community. Going back to what you said, like what I like about it, it's. The fact that all of these elements, I mean, they embody what a Christian would have to be. You have to care about kids. You have to protect your flock. You have to be self-reliant. At some point, you got to say, fuck the government or forget the government. Sorry. Um, We're way beyond our square um, (laughs) maximum. My virgin ears. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But um, yeah, it's like. It's to me, I, I tell, I have started telling people this recently that firearms in the second amendment are like the kindergarten grassroots of really uh, just being free of freedom. Like if you can't protect whatever you're claiming to be, like, what does it matter? Like the Bible t- tells you to take up a sword. Mm-hmm. Jesus told his disciples to take up a sword because he wasn't going to be there to protect them anymore. He's like, "Yo, it's about to get real for y'all. You, you might, you might want to take one or two <laughs> And yeah, yeah. the one of I'm, the things is I one thing that I do that I think Christianity helps me with is not diving like all the way into guns and making it another idol and uh, not using it the correct way because that's what I've seen and that's what I've like. I was like, all right, I don't want to do that. Like, the tactical stuff is cool, but, like, I'm not going to be shooting somebody from 500 yards that way in my lifetime, I don't think. And if I do, then America's in a real bad spot.
0: Well, in that place, you're engaging. You're not defending. Right. You're engaging. Right.
2: But it's like I can't really think of a situation, a scenario where that's going to be realistic for me. You know what I mean? So I'm going to focus on the side that, you know, to me, is a little bit to me and not not belittling or minimizing anything that those people do because we need them. I have my job is to bring the people off the fence and on the anti-side to those people. But that's my job. Like their calling is their calling, but I feel like mine is to make sure that I don't get sucked in too far and to make sure that I know that my calling is to make sure that I can just teach people how to defend themselves. But that's not necessarily all that this is about is the fun side. Like we got to get to, you know, like me and Mike say all the time, the dirty laundry of the second amendment. Yep.
0: For sure. I think that was Mike's cue to speak, but just sitting back considering everything.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it, <laughs> Devin and I talk, um, you know, I, I the I think he's got the best intentions um, I really do. I think this program can go so many different ways. Um, it's an interesting question. I just never had thought about, we've never had a guest come on and talk about God, right. And, and, and God changing their lives. So it's just that's why I was sitting back and kind of listening to you two go off.
0: Well, that's why I went with it because it's not popular to discuss and it's not discussed in polite society. And Devin gave me a little bit of an opening there when he's like, I don't really care. I'm going to talk about whatever you want. Like nothing should be off limits. Um, we should be able to bring in, in my, in my field, what we call sensitive subjects. And usually those are, uh, substance abuse, suicidality, finances, um, sexual relationships, sexuality. And you know, it was never mentioned in my coursework, firearms, mm-hmm. Never. Not once, hmm. and uh, religion—we've never mentioned that. We were never allowed to talk about that in my coursework. It was—it was all the other things, and so I like to wade right into the pool and be like, "Hey, here we are." Um. So when Devin dropped earlier, he's like, "I'm a Christian. I'm I'm baptized." And I was like, "Yes, yes. Let's let's talk about that." And I I am really excited to talk to Yehuda about the same thing because he's a super strident Orthodox Jewish God-following man, and I would have the same conversation with anybody who had a really strong belief as you know if if it's articulated. And well founded, man. I want to find out about that, not just cherry picked from the air, right? Right. And I want to know how you reconcile certain things, you know, because there there seem to be these competing belief systems, and they're not competing as it turns out. They're 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 actually quite hybridized. Um, but I think broader culture doesn't understand that, and that's why I wanted to hear your opinion on that and. Um, I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to do that. And and I'm mindful of time. We're We're like running an hour and 30 now almost. Um, and I, I just, I'm, I'm stoked to have met you, um, Mike and you, you and Mike know each other for, you know, some time now. And, um, I have, have just now made your acquaintance and I am super excited to be in your fold and, um this is my way of wrapping up the podcast. Cause uh, I think it's, it's, it's late where I am. I know it's late where you are, but um, also it's getting long for the listeners, no matter what time of day it is. Um, man, you were such, such a dynamic person and I'm, God, I'm so, you, oh, man. So I've lived a
2: long life in a short amount of
0: time. You have, you have an old soul too.
2: Have, well, let me
1: ask you, you one know. last question and we can end it on this. Uh, Mike's favorite question. Yeah, my favorite question. Mr. Devin Perkins, how do you tend to your mental health?
2: Um, I talk to my girl a lot and I shoot guns a lot and I send you memes. <laughs> That's the best answer. That's <laughs> Mike. I am the best meme slash gift funny clip finder ever
0: okay i need to get your number at the end of this because i want to be involved on in those threads i i want those memes
2: i i don't i don't know if you do <laughs> oh 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 yes i do
1: so yeah. that's, oh, that's how you tend to your
2: mental health huh yeah man um i just focus on the grind like i'm not the focus like yeah the way my therapy is done is seeing other people succeed in worse situations than me. Because, yeah. Yeah, I get if I can do it. I get that. If I can do it and help somebody else to do it. I'm good with that. That gives me peace.
0: <laughs> that's awesome, that's, man. That's a good quote. Yeah, that's a really good quote. We, we might meme you after this. <laughs> hey,
2: make me go viral. I need the followers.
1: <laughs> Don't we all? Well, speaking of that, how do people get? Uh, how do people find you? How do people get a hold of you?
2: Oh, yeah. Since I'm shadow banned, like literally everywhere, um, Trenchwork Chronicles on, literally, if you Google it, I am the only thing that comes up if you Google Trenchwork Chronicles. Um, Where did that come
0: from, by the way? Where, where's Trenchwork come from? You're working in trenches?
2: Literally, like everything that we just talked about, um, Jesus came for the publicans and the sinners. I'm going in the trenches where He was at. <laughs> that's what I, That's that's literally it. Like I told you, there's no such thing as an awkward conversation for me. So that, wherever it is, is wherever it's got to go. Like we're about to go to Portland.
0: That was the wrong. <laughs> that was the wrong sound effect. It meant to be this. There
2: we go. Yeah. Well, sorry. That was accurate. <laughs> i didn't use the wrong one. <laughs> no. Portland, no. but you know, we got to go. So, we going, going to Portland. Yeah. Bod <laughs> just got the RV.
0: <laughs> what do you, what's the plan there? In all seriousness. Uh,
2: de-escalation first, yeah. uh conflict resolution second, I guess firearms safety How do you you expect it will be received? Liberals can't touch me, because I, like I said, I take them off script. Mm -hmm. You can't, what are you going to say to the black guy that has a gun? You're racist. I'm wearing a Black Guns Matter shirt. What are you saying?
0: Are you you worried at all about mob mentality just
2: suffocating? No, (laughs) no, no, I'm not. As wild as Portland looks, I'm not, like, one, I contributed this to being a Christian, two, I contribute this to my past. Like, ever since Chicago, it's like, I don't care. Like, it's bad. Like, I don't know how to articulate this the right way. So, let me preference this by saying that first. But I don't think I care if I die or not anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, whatever has to happen, it has to happen. You know what I mean? If Maj says he has to go to Portland, I'm not going to let him go by himself. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that's what we got to do. Man. So
0: trenchworth Chronicles on where? Is that everywhere? Everywhere.
2: Uh, Other than Facebook, because they they didn't kick me off. They're still technically reviewing my profile, but they've essentially banned me. Um, But yeah, everywhere else. Parlor Twitter, I'm on TikTok. Um, I don't do like the TikTok dances or anything, it's literally just like you don't wipe new- the mirror and then come up. Nah, like, yeah, yeah, it's all like guns in history, oh. <laughs> that's why I'm shadow being there. But, um, <laughs> Instagram, same thing. Uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, I don't use it a lot, but it keeps you updated sometimes. But yeah, Blog Talk Radio is mainly you can find the show I post it every time but Instagram is probably what you want to follow Uh, fair warning Instagram is probably where you want to follow the most but trench. uh, yeah. work trench underscore work underscore chronicles I better be the only person that if I'm not somebody's biting because I made sure I was the only person with that name and Ken Blanchard is the one who actually helped me come up with that too well, uh, like uh, thirteen people
0: that I also follow and who follow me follow you. So I'm guessing this is you.
2: Yeah,
1: it's got. He, it took a while for me to remember that when I first saw it. Like trench I, I don't know why I was mess around with word the words underscore. Chronicles. Yeah, unanswered. Yeah, but everywhere
0: else is trench word chronicles. That's where you can find Devin. Yep, that's me. Man, thank you for doing what you do, man.
2: Seriously, I'm trying. I say I haven't done anything until we've done it. So right. I'm, I'm ready to do it. That's for sure. You're in, you're in good company
0: here. I think we, uh, we don't, we don't really pop our heads up and look to see what we've done or look around to see who's congratulating us. We just keep moving forward. So.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much, brother. Jake, time for me to go to bed. I'm, you're old, is what you meant getting old. So, yeah. i 44. I look a hard 47. You do look a yeah. hard 47. I think Rob Pincus is
0: 47, and he looks a hard 42. <laughs> so, yeah, you got some work to do. Uh, you know what, Devin Perkins, uh, with a with a strong 28 coming in to bring all our youth back to back to bear. Hey,
2: with the life of a 45 rule, yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, wisdom
0: beyond your years. Yeah, I got to give it back
2: before I start losing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: losing your mind assumes that you had a mind to begin with. Uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Some people call me brilliant. Some people call me crazy. There's a fine
0: line, (laughs) but it is there. And on that note, thank you very much for joining us on behalf of the Walk the Talk America family. We wish you all great mental wellness. Enjoy your evenings, or your days, however you may be listening.